Welcome to another episode of the Ask Aces podcast, where we connect you with science and answer common questions you may have regarding food, agriculture, families, and more. Today, we are joined by Joy O'Keefe, an assistant professor and wildlife extension specialist in the Department of Natural Resources and Environmental Sciences at Illinois, and Frank Tillman, who is a former graduate researcher working with O'Keefe. And Joy and Frank have been doing some really fascinating research and studies about bats. And we're joined by them today to hear a little bit more about this research and the work they've been doing and some of the stuff that they have discovered. And this podcast is based on research that was published in Ecological Solutions and Evidence. So thank you both for being here. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to talk to me about some of the really cool work you guys are doing. Um, Before we get into some of the specifics of your research, can you both kind of just tell me what your interest in bats is and kind of how you got to where you are today with your work. Uh, So I started working with bats in my undergrad and uh, I was just fascinated by everything about them. Um, I actually met Joy at a conference that I was presenting some of my undergrad research at and uh, just kind of checked to see if she had anything available. She said she had a position coming up in I think it was the fall and uh, just kind of snowballed from there and uh, I started working with bats with her that summer I believe and it was just a really really cool experience. Great and then Joy? Yeah for me uh, I got into bats while I was working on my master's degree. I was employed by a power company in Kentucky Uh, that was doing surveys for bats during the summer months to uh, establish presence or absence for the federally endangered Indiana bat, which has been a focus of my bat research for over 20 years now. And that led me into bats, and I ended up pursuing a PhD in bats, and I have never looked back. I've been all bats ever since. Great. And I think, I don't know how much, um, like for me, the, you know, regular person who has a very brief knowledge about bats. Um, I'm sure that a lot of people don't really know the importance of them or just aren't really sure um, too much of the specifics of them. And of course you guys research them. So I'm wondering if you could kind of tell me the importance of bats and kind of about their ecological role as well. Sure, so kind of broadly, bats are one of the major types of mammals. So behind rodents, bats are the second most diverse group of mammals in the world. And there are over 1,400 different kinds of bats. The number of bats around the world increases every year as more and more research is done, kind of unearthing species in the tropics, which is where bat diversity is the greatest. Here in the temperate zone in the eastern United States, we have lower bat diversity, but our bats are all still really important. They're all insectivorous, and so they are eating uh, many of our pests. Uh, including crop pests, forest pests, and insects like mosquitoes that are pests to humans. So for those reasons, they're pretty important on a kind of economic uh, standpoint. And then when you think about just ecologically, uh, they fill a niche that, uh, you know, no other mammal does being active in the night sky, being able to fly and uh, moving about the forest. And they're really important in forests too. I don't know if you have anything to add, Frank, about kind of what makes bats so cool. Yeah, uh, I think you hit on some really great uh, things and I just wanted to uh, emphasize their role in ecosystem services. Um, Joy, Joy pointed out that they're really important at removing agricultural pests um, and, and some work has been done with that where um, looking at some bats in the Mediterranean, they found that they had actually 
improved the the value of the crop by around 24 us dollars per uh, hectare which you know without implementing any uh, any kind of pesticide or anything of that nature these, these bats can just control for these uh these insects um, naturally sure yeah a and lot then, of really important sorry keep going oh and, and they also act as uh, some really great pollinators um, so not necessarily the bats that uh, you'd be seeing in, in your area but I mean, the agave plant is is one of those those top plants that's pollinated by bats yeah that's fascinating i didn't know a lot of that um super interesting and um so let's talk a little bit about the research you guys have been doing um do you want to maybe just give a brief sort of overview of the research you've been doing recently with bats um and why you believe that is important sure i can jump in with uh just kind of where we got started here is that I mentioned I'd worked with the federally endangered Indiana bat and that species in some places in the eastern United States where forest habitat is uh, decreasing for various reasons. Folks are putting up artificial roosts to basically provide roosting habitat for the bat, but there'd been very little research on the roost structures, what um, what was working best for the bats, what would provide kind of the optimal conditions inside. And we had the unique situation where we were working with a population, a maternity colony of these Indiana bats, about 200 or 300 individuals that was repeatedly coming back year after year to the site in central Indiana and using almost exclusively bat boxes. And so we realized that, you know, if these bats are so dependent on these boxes, we really need to test out different designs to see what would work best for them. So that's kind of what led to this work. And I had this kind of conceptual idea. And then when Frank started on his master's project, then he really fleshed it out. He could tell you a little bit about how that came to be. Yeah. So um, I, I was going to mention those, that colony as well. The, the bats that I started working with, the, that Indiana bat colony, almost exclusively started using these, these bat boxes, which uh, is, is pretty interesting in and of itself um, because they're, they're in a really unique uh, area, pretty pretty close to um, suburban uh, locations, and they just really took to these bat boxes. Um, and my predecessor, Julia Ho, uh, did some work looking at uh, three different bat box designs and found that some of them got pretty hot, um, and, and she made some recommendations. And I started thinking, you know, what, what could we do to make these boxes even better? We have these bats, you know, a single three foot tall box, we have upwards of 200 bats uh, roosting in there. And, you know, what can we do to make them better? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you kind of touched on this, Joy, but um, why did, why, why is it important to test so many different designs? Yeah, well, so what we found in Julia's study that, as Frank mentioned, she was the master student who worked on this kind of question uh, prior to him. And, and it's been kind of a progression through different students is, Julia tested three designs that were really radically different. So they varied in volume, they varied in shape, uh, and, and they varied in the number of chambers inside the box. And that was just a lot of different, and they varied in materials. That was a lot of different things to compare. And what we decided to do with Frank's work was to systematically change very small features of the boxes, like does it have two vents or does it have four? Does it have a big roof or does it have a small roof? You know, does it have a chimney? Um, and uh, how tall is it? 
so by varying those things and then keeping everything else consistent, what that led us to do is just to make a whole bunch of designs. And what we were really interested in testing within these boxes is what are the climate conditions within the box. And that's really important to bats during the summer when you're providing them with artificial roosts, because bats are uh, mammals like us and capable of regulating their own body temperature and staying at a relatively constant temperature. They tend to actually act a lot more like a reptile. They're kind of ectothermic when they want to be, meaning that they will adapt their temperature to the temperature of their surrounding environment. And so if a box is really cool, then the bat could be really cool. But if a box is hot, then the bat might be really hot. That's what we wanted to check out was like, what are the conditions within the box? Because we knew that bats are going to kind of acclimate to the box. And sometimes it's good to be cold. Sometimes it's good to be warm. It's never good to be like lethally hot. So we wanted to, you know, see what kind of conditions these boxes were offering. But there were so many things that you could vary. I mean, we could have probably created even more designs, but we wanted to just systematically test those. So we ended up testing about 19 rocket box designs and then one uh, chamber box, which is kind of a standard design that folks use. Yeah, we, we chose to use 19 rocket box. They're called rocket boxes because they, they kind of look like a bottle rocket. It's a pretty, pretty slender, tall uh, structure attached to a four by four post. And we chose to use those because of the success um, we had with them at our research site in the past. These, these bats really loved these rocket boxes. We decided to build 20 designs. Um, originally, we were playing around with the idea of uh, maybe four groups of five of the same design or five groups of four. And, and we came to the conclusion that we really wanted to test as many options as possible. And then we were given a unique opportunity to install them in a location where the temperature uh, and the shading would all be the same so that we could feasibly design one of each design and then compare them to each other because the variability would be so low in that location. Absolutely. And I know it's important, you know, in any study to have lots of options and test as many as you possibly can. Um, and Frank, you also, I know one of your designs was made of composite plastic, but what are some other materials that, that can be used? So that's, that's a really good question. Um, we, we chose that composite material. My, my thought behind that was to try something that would maybe last a little longer and that was readily available. So it's, it's something you can just buy at you know, Home Depot, Lowe's, your, your hardware store. Other materials that are used, uh, pine board, that's, that's what most of our boxes were made out of. Um, you can use other, other woods, um, but, but pine is relatively cheap and easy to use. Some boxes are made out of plywood, uh, which has its pros and cons. It's cheap, but in the long run, it doesn't last um, because it, it can become saturated with, uh, you know, fecal material, that sort of thing. Some less common builds are actually using this wood and concrete mixture where they, they take sawdust and they mix it in with concrete and then they pour it into a mold and it creates this, uh, it's, it's almost shaped like a pill. It's, it's the structure that it's like a pill. The bottom is lopped off and then there's a small opening for the bats to fly in and out um, and those are really great designs they've had success especially um, over in in uh, parts of europe but unfortunately those types of materials aren't very uh, useful for this type of design for the rocket type um, but for those pillbox designs they've been great they've had really great success 
Um, and then another material that I was just looking at the other day is made out of like clay, uh, like terracotta shingle kind of material. Um, and from my understanding, those, those work pretty well too. They, they help to um, mitigate the, the high temperatures. Yeah, I saw some clay boxes up in uh, Spain, in Catalonia. And a clay box, just like a woodcrete box, is going to have, it's going to be a little bit more thermally stable. Just like Frank said, you could use other kinds of wood besides pine too. And a, like a box made out of oak, a thicker, denser wood is going to give you a bit more thermal stability. So it's going to be warmer on a cold day, and then it's going to be cooler on a warm day, uh, which is a, an advantage. But uh, that composite plastic didn't quite work out like we thought it would. Uh, we should mention that we, in this study, you know, when Frank was describing how he had this unique situation where we could put the boxes up, we excluded the bats. Uh, bats would change the temperatures inside the boxes, and we wanted to make sure that we didn't have the impact of bats so that we were just testing apples to apples, right, across all these boxes. So um, so we we kept bats out by putting this, like, mesh screening over any of the entrance holes where bats could get in. Sure. And so we talked um, a little bit about the study and sort of how you guys kind of designed it, but what were some of the findings, the major findings from the study? I'll, I'll just jump in here and say that some of the major findings were some of the things we predicted. We uh, looked at uh, volume and ventilation, and we found that increasing the ventilation really helped to mitigate those high, uh, those high temperatures and, and reduce risk of mortality. So some of the things that we did to do that was adding a chimney to the top of the box. So it was just a three foot section of PVC um, with a cap on top of it to prevent water from flowing down. Um, we added that and it really helped all that hot air to rise up and out of the box. And, it was a black that, chimney too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Black draws the heat. And then we also tried increasing the number of vents as Joy stated earlier. And, and that also seemed to help, though not, not as much as the chimney. Um, and then something else that was really uh, useful was increasing the volume of the box. And we did that strictly by increasing the height or the length from top to bottom. While those boxes did get hot at the top, they provided a much wider thermal gradient uh, for hypothetical bats to choose from within the box, uh, which is very important um, because they're going to move to where they Prefer. Yeah, and don't forget the water jacket. <laughs> so we have this uh, infamous design in our lab, the water jacket, which Frank conceived with our co-author, Dr. George Bakken. It's a crazy design. So, um, so you build your basic rocket box with two chambers, and then on the outer wall, you put on each side of the four-sided box, you put three packets of water, top, middle, and bottom. And they we use like a vacuum sealer to seal water inside. You know, once those were in place, then Frank has another sleeve that goes around all of that to contain it. So that compartment is just totally closed off to what would, you know, bats wouldn't be able to get in there. But there's this layer of water. And what George Bakken had visualized was if you had water uh, outside a box, that the inside of the box couldn't freeze until the water had frozen. So the water provides like an insulating layer. But we found that it actually stabilized temperatures, uh, keeping the box from overheating as often and also keeping the box warmer at night, longer into the night, which could be an advantage if there's pups like left in the box while mom is out foraging, the pups would stay warmer longer because the water jacket would provide this kind of thermal lag in temperature. It sounds very complex to me. And, and just like there are so many 
parts that you have to really think about. So that's it's really fascinating. And then you you also mentioned that you you were able to conclude that some boxes are not safe for bats. What from the study kind of led you to come to that conclusion? Strictly speaking, the the major thing that drove that finding was the temperature in the box. So each of these boxes, we we measured the temperature in them, but we had 12 different I-button temperature data loggers in there at you know top, middle, bottom, and then on each of the four sides of the box. And some of those data loggers got over 50 degrees Celsius. And previous work um, with bats has found that anything higher than 45 is often lethal. Um, for many of the bats that you're going to find um, in, in the Midwest. We had temperatures that exceeded that in multiple box designs. So it's it's something that's very important to think about because these bats, when they enter these boxes, they're not going to want to leave um, if they don't have to. And this isn't the first study to find that boxes reach those lethal temperatures. My predecessor, Julia, that we mentioned, um, she found the same thing. I believe she had up to 54 degrees Celsius in a box, and that's really high. For, for such a small animal to, to reach. So all of all of my boxes, I think it was 18 of the 20, uh, reached those, those that lethal cutoff. Um, so so that's something to keep in mind when when building a bat box because that's, you know, if you're trying to build these things for conservation, you don't want them to be detrimental. Right. And I mentioned if you add bats, it gets even hotter. And <laughs> so our bat boxes didn't have bats in them, but if you added bats, it could get more, more overheating. And we, we've seen that in studies in other parts of the world too, like in Spain, uh, they documented overheating in a number of bat boxes. Uh, some folks in Europe have documented this as well and seen bat deaths also in Australia. So it's not, it's not uh, the first time that we've seen overheating in boxes, which is one of the motivations for our work. Right. And that was going to be kind of, yeah, my next question was kind of seeing uh, the work done in other countries and other parts of the world. Um, is that kind of what drew you to explore that specifically here in this area? Or were, were there other interests that kind of drew you to this specific study? Yeah, I think I think the fact that, uh, that other folks had been experimenting with bat boxes and, and we had to and had seen some issues with them is what drove us to do this. Um, another factor is, I mentioned that that the water jacket box that I described was able to keep boxes warmer uh, longer into the night. And we were actually motivated by a study by uh, a colleague in Canada who had tested out heated bat boxes where they had actually heated them with electricity to help bats who were recovering from the fungal disease, white nose syndrome, which affects them during the winter. When they emerge from their hibernation sites, in the spring, they go to their summer habitat, which could be trees naturally, but could also be bat boxes. Uh, if they're pretty cold in those boxes, then they're going to be slow to heal from the damage that occurred from the fungus, which actually eats away at their wing tissue and causes them to experience um, you know, some pretty significant immune responses during the winter. So if they come back to the summer landscape and they, they don't have a lot of energy, then it takes longer to recover. And giving them a heated box would actually speed up their recovery. But it's not really practical to put out electrically, you know, heated boxes across the landscape. And so that's one of the motivations for conceiving that water jacket design is could we make a design that's warmer for bats? So, and it worked. Pretty interesting. Um, and so then what's kind of the next step um, after the study? Where do you kind of look to, what do you look to do next? Uh, that's a great question. So we, the next step we took, actually, we've already done this, is we took 
the best designs, and I can let Frank tell you about those. And we uh, deployed them in an actual landscape where Indiana bats, that federally endangered species occurs. We did this in both Kentucky and Indiana. And we gave them five different designs and we put them in different landscape positions to see if, okay, we know some of these designs get really hot. We know some stay cooler. Can bats select amongst these different designs? Can they pick out uh, different designs? So that was kind of a logical next step. Um, another thing that I'm testing out in my lab now is we're testing out different paint colors. So yes, you can modify design, but you can also modify the color of the box. And since solar radiation plays a really strong role in the heating inside a box, the paint color can matter quite a lot. So stay tuned for those results. Sure, that's also really fascinating and a part that I didn't even think about. And then after kind of doing this study, what kind of, or what type of box would you advise folks to use based on what you guys found? So that's that's the key question here. That's what uh, everyone wants to know after after hearing about our study. And it's, it's the answer is complicated. Um, it's not as simple as uh, installing a single box. And Joy alluded to this earlier, um, bats have a, a pretty complex life history. And when they are pregnant, a lot of the times they prefer um, a different temperature than they do when they're lactating. So during pregnancy, they'll often go to cooler roosts. Um, but then during lactation, they want to go to a warmer roost uh, so that their pup can reach maturity as quickly as possible. So when installing bat boxes, we recommend installing a couple of different designs. So a design that's going to be warm, such as our uh, design where we removed all of the vents. Um, while it did get really hot, that type of design is going to be really great for those bats when they are seeking, um, seeking some warmth, but also not trying to get too hot. And then when uh, they're trying to stay cool, we can go with something like the chimney design, which we know had low temperatures and uh, didn't even reach those, those lethal cutoffs. So putting in uh, a couple of different options for bats when you're installing boxes because they do switch roosts throughout the season. Um, and there are various reasons for that uh, aside from just that temperature preference. Um, so just trying to, I guess, make as many bats happy as possible. Yeah, I think that long design is actually really good for the, you know, kind of providing the different temperatures that the bats might like. So if they really want a warm condition, they can scuttle up to the top, you know, kind of move down the length of the box. So Sure. Yeah. A lot of important work um, and findings coming out of this. Um, how, or I guess who funded the, the work um, to your study and, and why? It was funded by U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, so, which is the regulatory agency that uh, implements the Endangered Species Act and, you know, kind of um, regulates what happens with federally threatened and endangered species across the United States. And since the Indiana bat uh, Myotis sodalis is a federally endangered species. They were really interested in the type of work that we proposed to do because these bats are often being provided with artificial roosts, but there's been very little study of how those roosts would affect those bats. So they they were uh, strong supporters of our work. That's great. Um, and then are the blueprints for your boxes available to conservationists? Uh, they could be. <laughs> we we haven't published blueprints on our webpage, but we do have a webpage, uh, my lab webpage, which I can share with you, uh, Carolina, 
so that you could put that up uh, in case folks want to access it and get more information on that box. Sure, absolutely. I, we'd love to. We'd love to do that. I know that um, there are you know other people, of course, who are interested in this and and who are probably really interested in what you guys found. So that would be very helpful. And that kind of moves me to to my last question, which is what are some other good resources for kind of staying up to date on this bat box news and just other news and, and findings that maybe uh, happen in the future? Yeah. So our, our lab webpage will post any findings from bat box work that we do, but we're also going to try to summarize, you know, important work done by others, especially on the issues of keeping bat boxes safe for bats. So, you know, temperature is just one component. There's other things to consider too. And we want to, you know, apply the latest science. So, you know, we'll try to summarize those data on our webpage, but I would also encourage people to keep an eye on the literature because there really hasn't been a lot of concerted effort until relatively recently. Um, do you agree with that, Frank? Yes, I, I definitely agree. That boxes, I mean, they've been used for, for a while now um, since some of the literature goes back to early 2000s for that, but there really hasn't been a, a hard push for the um, for the more systematic comparisons until these last few years, and and I highly recommend anyone who's interested, you know, shoot over to uh, Dr. O'Keefe's um, lab page. Uh, that's it's going to be a great source to keep updated with with the work that they're doing, as well as, um, like she said, some of the work that they they're also looking at uh, that others are doing. Sure, absolutely. Um, and before before I wrap up here, is there anything else you guys wanted to add or um, anything you want to touch on before I kind of bring us to our outro here? Well, I guess I'd say, you know, one direction that we're headed is also when people ask me about bat boxes now after some of the stuff that we've learned um, through the research we've done in my lab, I try to get them to think about alternatives to bat boxes too. You know, the bats that are using these boxes are naturally adapted to use trees. Typically, there are some cave dwellers that also will use bat boxes, but in large part, the bats that use these boxes are bats that would have used either large hollow trees, trees with big cavities created by woodpeckers, massive trees that have died and the bark is sloughing off the trunk. And we have to be thoughtful about trying to provide more of those natural habitats for bats and restoring habitat to create the optimal natural conditions that bats uh, are, you know, evolutionarily adapted to. Uh, live in because that's probably going to be what's optimal for these bats. Sure. Absolutely. I really appreciate you guys sharing that with me today um, and talking to me about the fascinating work you guys are doing. And we really look forward to what you guys find next and more research about bats, whatever that is in the future. Um, that is it for today. Join us next time for another Ask Aces podcast.